Lord, it truly is an amazing thing to know that not only do you allow us to come with our prayer, it's your desire that we come to you in prayer. Lord, we know that that is only possible as we are clothed in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for for opening the way to the throne of grace for us, for paving the way for us, for paying the price for us. And Lord, we know that it is your desire that we come to you with everything. So often, we miss the blessing. We miss all that you have for us because we either feel that we can handle it ourselves, we feel that it would be a bother to you, When, Lord, it's your desire that we bring everything to you. You want to be involved in everything in our lives. We thank you for that that intimate and personal care that you have for us. Lord, we thank you for this this opportunity we have tonight to to sing your praises, to to again, as as a group and individually, Lord, remember and recognize all that you would have for us. And, Lord, we thank you also for this time now that we have in your word tonight. Lord, we pray that again as we study the history, the old history of of your your chosen people, Lord, that we see the, the life applications for us today. You tell us in your word, that's why it's recorded for us to learn and to grow. So, Lord, have that work in us tonight. Have have your way here this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. Please take out your Bibles with me and open them up to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 4. Last week in our study, the Red Sea, or Red Sea, Red Sea, no, the Jordan River. Red Sea was months ago. Jordan River, <laughs> Jordan River was, was backed up as, as, as the children of Israel now are on the, on the very border of the promised land. And the only thing now that stood between them and actually moving into the promised land was the Jordan River. And we showed a little video clip last week of what it looks like, the Jordan River at flood stage during harvesting, with this time that it's recorded for us now, at flood stage. And impossible to cross. Impossible to cross. And the, the Lord then, in this impossible situation, he backs up the water as soon as the, as the priests carrying the ark, remember, as soon as their foot touched the water, boom, he backed the water all the way up to a city called Adam, miles up, upstream, and dry, they crossed on dry land. And that's where we pick up our study tonight, Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. 
and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one from each tribe. Now he appointed these men back in chapter three. They didn't know what the purpose was at the time, but now Joshua is revealing to them, this is what you need to do. You need to now go back in to the river, back into the area where the priests are standing, and each of you pick up a stone. Now we're gonna get some more information about that first, but I wanna point out something here before we go further. Joshua, the Lord commands Joshua to have one man from each tribe go back now into the river and get a stone. And I make a point out of that because he notice he didn't say have 12 priests from the tribe of Levi go back in and get stones out of the river. That's going to be important as we discuss why these stones are being taken out as we continue now. Verse 5. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because of the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, And the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Notice it says in verse 6, When your children ask you later, what do these stones mean to you? And the point I made, wanted to make earlier with this is everyone is represented in the 12 stones that are there. What do these stones mean to you? And we're going to see this at the end of the chapter. He comes back around to this. The answer to that question is not go ask the pastor. That's why he didn't send 12 Levites back in there as priests. No, one from each tribe went in there, representing all of the people. What do these stones mean to you? What do they mean to you? Now, we see that the answer deals with the fact that that we have been rescued and we have been brought into the promised land. And they all came the same route, just as we are all saved the same way. But what does it mean to you? And when we are speaking to our children, when we are speaking to those that that the Lord brings to us, these memorials will take on that personal feel, that, that personal side that especially, again, when we are speaking to our children, and that can be physical, biological children, but also spiritual children, those that we are pouring into spiritually, it takes on that very personal flavor that very personal feel and it means can mean more to to them and we'll talk more as as we get towards the end of this this with that but we i when i'm thinking of this again i like this you know what do these stones mean to you and talking of children and and all of you parents grandparents you know that right kids when they're little they're so inquisitive why and you answer the question well why and answer that is, 
Well, why? And sometimes we can honestly get to that point, well, because I said so, right? Or that's just the way it is. Quit asking so many questions. But bottom line, especially when it comes to spiritual things, again, parents, grandparents, that's a blessing. That's a blessing that your children want to know more and want to know why. And that's where this comes in, where, where we share what it means to you. Share your testimony. Share that information. I, I think that, I, I like this too, but in, in verse 7, it says that these stones shall become a memorial. A memorial. We'll see as we continue our study through, this isn't the first memorial. This isn't the first thing set up as a memorial. I mean, we can go way back into our study of Genesis and see several set up. We're going to see several more as we continue. And, and God, God's kind of into memorials for certain things. Why is God into memorials? I forgot. That's why. <laughs> Because we forget. We forget so easily. We forget things. We, we, we set up memorials for ourselves to remind us to, of things, even though things we'd say, well, we would never forget that. And we might never forget those that gave their lives during war, but we still then, we still have the, the, you know, the Vietnam Memorial, the you know, different war memorials. I... I went to the, the Pearl Harbor Memorial, and as a country, you know, we would think, well, we'd never forget Pearl Harbor, but we have a memorial there. We have the 9-11 Memorial. But in our nature, in our human nature, we might, we might say, well, I'll never forget that event. It happened. You know, I'll always be able to say, you remember 9-11? Yeah, I remember 9-11. Where were you when you first found out? We'll probably always remember that. But we go on with our day-to-day -day lives, and everything just starts going on, and if it wasn't for that question or the day coming around or seeing the memorial, we would just go on. And that's why God is, is into memorials, to remind us of the things that we should never forget. Because we have a, ten a tendency to forget the things that we should remember. We're going to talk in a moment about the things that we seem to remember that we should forget. But... God says, do this memorial for, for a couple of reasons. One, so that you remember, but two, so that your kids ask why. The next generations ask why that's there. Well, it continues now, verse 9. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are still there to this day. For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. Now, it tells us here something interesting, and I don't want to draw too many things out of this, if anything, other than I find it interesting that it tells us in verse 9 that, that Joshua, God told Joshua to have 12 individuals go in, get 12 stones, bring those out. We're going to set those up as a memorial in the place where we're going to spend the night tonight. But Joshua now goes back in, and he sets up 12 stones in the middle of the river, in the middle of the dry riverbed where the priests were standing. 
And it doesn't say that God told him to do that. Now, God may very well have told him to do that, but it doesn't tell us that. But 12 stones packed on, stacked on top of each other doesn't make a very tall pile. It's going to be covered up with water. Who's ever going to know that that's there? Joshua is. Joshua's going to know that that's there. Joshua wrote this book, and he says, and they're still there now. There's, there's certain, I guess my point that I want to make with this, and I don't know if this is the intent or not, but it's kind of struck me with this today as I'm reading through it, that there are those memorials that are very personal to us. That sometimes there's going to be those instances in your life and those things that are a memorial that, that are maybe more between you and God. But you can go back to those times and you can remember how God met you in a certain place. And you might share that with others. I'm sure Josh, obviously Joshua did. He probably pointed it out to people and probably said, where? And he goes, well, trust me, it's in there. You can't see it, but trust me, it's down there. That memorial that he sets up there. Well, verse 10 I think this is, I like this, because, because this, this blesses me, because, because it's in here. The word's in here. It's in the Hebrew. They, they, it, they, they, they crossed the river, right? But notice how they crossed. So they hurried and crossed. And that blesses me, because they had faith enough, because they saw the water rushing, right? They saw the water going by, and then they saw the water stand up. And it takes faith to walk across. It takes faith to go across knowing that that water, if it came back through, would, would wipe you out. You'd be dead. So it takes faith to walk across there. But I, it doesn't seem, it, the Lord doesn't chastise them for hurrying across. So, so their faith, though it was maybe a little weak, it was still faith and God honored that faith. And I love that because the Lord honors faith, even weak faith, if it's faith in him. When he, when he healed the, the demon-possessed man who, whose son was demon-possessed, you know that story when the, the disciples couldn't cast him out, cast out the demon. They came to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus said, they said, well, you could cast him out. And Jesus said, well, do you believe? He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't say, come back when your faith is stronger. He cast out the demon. Again, honoring faith, even though it wasn't as strong as some others, like the Roman centurion who said, you just say the word, Jesus, you don't have to come here. I know that, that you're under authority, I understand how this whole authority thing works, you just say the word and I know he'll be healed. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like that even any, anywhere in Israel. His, the faith wasn't that strong, but it was faith in Jesus. Jesus honored that. He honors this faith, even though, <laughs> even though I like that, that blesses me, they hurried across, because I i got to admit, I'd probably be one that would be hurrying across. Verse 12. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. They're fulfilling their end of the deal. They're going to they're, they're gonna live on the, on the other side of the Jordan, but they have to come and fight the battle with their brothers to take the land, the promised land, before they go and occupy theirs. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. 
so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. So again, the Lord promotes Joshua. The Lord exalts Joshua. Now the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. It came up, it came about when, and not a moment before, when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and their soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks just as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Again, just picture this. These these priests, they've been standing down, and how long have they been standing? It doesn't tell us, but a long time. And the ark isn't light. It's a heavy, it's a heavy thing. And they're standing there in the middle of this dry river and hold, holding the ark this time. Well, finally now Joshua commands them to come out, and it says as soon as their feet get out of there, and on standing on what was dry ground before and still is dry ground, it says it immediately it was there. So can you just imagine the picture? I picture that while they're coming up, you got to imagine they could hear the roar of the water coming now. Remember, it was stood up for, for my, the God, God made a dam of some sort or you know, just an invisible dam or whatever, dammed up the water all the way up to, to this place called Adam a couple of miles up. But now... And God's perfect timing knows exactly when that, foot's, that last foot's going to hit, and the water's coming right behind him. And it's kind of cool, I think. <laughs> Verse 20. Oh, I guess last thing, just to note. Note where they camped. Camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Jericho, again, we're not going to get there probably tonight as to the, the, when the, the battle of Jericho. But Jericho is this hugely fortified city. The big walls, you know the story. We're going to get to it probably next week. But the, the, they're just a, about a mile away. And again, the, the, all of the Israelites, so they're, they can see now. They're, they're within eyeshot. They're right there, and that's where they're going to camp. And that's going to be important here as we continue. But that's where they camped this first night. Verse 20, those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones, then you shall inform your children. Again, this is, this is your job now. You are to raise your children and inform them, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done at the Red Sea, which he dried up before, before us until we had crossed. Verse 24, that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So the stones here we see are are, are threefold. They're there for three reasons. One, so that when the children ask, when future generations ask about this, you tell them, you inform them, you instruct them. 
Why is this so important? Because if we don't pass it on, if we're not the ones taking control of this, it'll go away. People will turn away from the Lord. We're not going to have to study very much further to see that start happening. When we get into the book of Judges, it doesn't take long at all for the children of Israel to disobey this command and the next generations turn away. It's going to happen right away. That's why it's so important. But no, so that's number one for the children. Secondly, notice in verse 24, there's another reason that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Word is going to spread, as we're going to see in chapter 5. And this pile of stones that is going to be this memorial is going to stand as a testament to this is where we came across. That story that you all heard about that has you all shaking in your boots, this is where it happened. But thirdly, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may fear that you will never forget that you'll never forget the power and the presence of God. You won't drift away from that. You'll be able to come to this place and remember because you were part of this. You saw God's hand working. Chapter five. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel before, until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Man, word travels fast. And this is before cable TV and satellite and all this kind of stuff. Word travels quickly all the way, it says, to the, the Canaanites who are, who are living by the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. That's on the far west end of the promised land. Word travels quickly. And I, and I love this, in this understanding here again, that, that when we have faith, when we trust God for what he says, and we obediently walk in his word, and we follow exactly what he says, guys, the, the track record is unbelievable. The, those who do that are undefeated. Never lost. Trusting the Lord and being fully obedient to what he says. And, and you know what? The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. That is why there is fear in the hearts of their enemies already because they know, man, look at what happens when they trust their God and do what he says. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples and at, at Caesarea Philippi, the, Jesus asked them and they said, who do, who do men say that, 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 I, that I am? And they had a whole bunch of different answers that men were th thinking, you know, these different things. And Jesus said, well, more importantly, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up, and you know, he answered, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for man did not reveal that. That came, from, that came from the Father right to you. And he said, on that rock I will build my church. And then he said this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, 
perhaps you, you, you know this or even just logically thinking through, but are gates an offensive weapon? Is that something that we need to be worried about the gates of hell, like they're coming against us, like they're gonna defeat it? No, gates are a defensive mechanism. So what Jesus is saying is with that truth, the gates of hell can't keep you out. You, we are gonna have victory in, in the offensive. And the enemy knows that. And the enemy shakes in their boots with that, that truth. Our, our battle is not physical. Our battle is spiritual. And again, when we are armed with the truth of God's word, and we, and we believe it, and we trust it, and we are obedient to follow what God says and, and follow in his leading in everything that we do, we cannot be defeated. We cannot be defeated. We will go into enemy territory and take out prisoners of war. The gates can't keep us out. And the enemy knows that. And worldly wisdom would say go, right? I mean, look at what just happened. Look at what just happened here. They, they just crossed the Jordan River and this miracle happened. Word has spread that everybody is, is shaken and quaking. I'd be thinking, man, we gotta go. We need to go right now, right? I mean, let's, let's go. We gotta, we gotta hurry while the iron's hot. Strike while the iron's hot. Let's go. But guys, God's never in a hurry. God is never in a hurry. As a matter of fact, God has the perfect plan and he's far more concerned about the work that he's gonna do in us than the work that he's gonna do through us. He's far more concerned about, about the process in us as we work, go through this than he is in, the, in the, what he's gonna use us to do. And we're gonna see that as we go through here, that, that God's guidance in this is gonna say, hey, 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 just, just hang on a second. Don't get ahead of me. There's some things that I need to do in you first. You're, you might think you're ready, but you're not ready yet. You're gonna outline this. We're gonna look at this in chapter five. There's several things actually that need to happen. And I, I think again in this that I, I, my, one of my favorite stories, it, this Elijah, tells us that he goes in before King Ahab, the king that, that could, the, with his word, have him executed. And the, and the story tells in 1 Kings 17 and 18, it would seem to indicate that Elijah didn't know if he was going to live or die, but he knew that he needed to go in and tell the king that it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And he walked out. He's got to be thinking, hey, that's pretty awesome. I, obviously, and then it tells, the Lord tells him then the next step. So he was totally obedient and the Lord leading him and guiding him to go do that. He was obedient. He trusted God. Bam. He's got to be thinking right then and there, hey, let's go to Mount Carmel right now. Right now. Let me take on the prophets of Baal today. And God said, no, no, no. We got some work to do first. Got some work to do in you first. You're not ready. You might think you are, but you're not. Go to the brook Cherith. And I'll take care of you there. I've commanded birds to take care of you there. Okay. He goes there. The stops raining, just like he said it was gonna. And God said, you stay there until the brook dries up. Man, 
sitting out there in the middle of nowhere. Birds are bringing him food and, and everything like that. Got to be getting impatient, thinking, okay, when are, when are we going to be ready? And then it tells us that, that after the brook dried up, the, the Lord commanded him to go and the widow would take care of him. You know the, the, the story? What if Elijah would have said, you know, I'm in a hurry, Lord. <laughs> I, I, know, I know I'm ready for this. Let's just go ahead and skip this, you know, and, and left two weeks early to go to the widow. You know what happened when he met the widow? She, she was about, she said, I'm going to go home and cook this last cake, and then I'm going to die. Me and my son, we're just going to die. This is all I have. I have enough flour and oil for one more cake, and then we're done. We're going to eat and die. And Elijah said, no, you make that for me first. And God will provide for you. And in her obedience, then, the flour and the oil never ran out. It was, they always had enough until the, until the end. But if Elijah would have gone two weeks earlier, she'd have had two weeks' worth of flour and oil left. Not one left. And if we get ahead of God and we say, I got this, I'm, I'm ready for this, I'm the, God's working in us, God's doing stuff, and we get ahead of it, we miss the training, we miss the miracles, we miss the, all of the stuff that God has planned for us. And again, they're coming across here and they gotta be thinking, man, they're perfect. They are perfectly ready for us to strike. And God says no, and as a matter of fact, look at what he says in verse two. Not only does he say not go, he says... At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilgal Haraloth, which if you see in your margin there, it tells you that's the hill of the foreskins, it says. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. So not only does he say, not go, he gives them a command, and I think one of the things that, that amazes me about this is Joshua, does, it's not recorded, Joshua doesn't say, I beg your pardon? <laughs> Circumcise everybody? Now, Joshua had been circumcised, so I guess, I guess the bigger question is all the people that he went back to, like about 600,000 plus men, didn't say, I beg your pardon? But they were obedient, again. Instead of, again, not saying, not only just go, but th this is what needs to be done. 
Now, circumcision goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. This was the the covenant, the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that I will bless you, your descendants won't be able to be counted, and then he talked about this promised land that would come to his people. And circumcision was the sign or the, the mark that then the male children at eight days old, and now we know why eight days, because physically there's, the blood starts to clot at eight days. God kind of knows what he's doing, but that's a whole other thing. But to circumcise the male children. And it was a sign. It was a sign that they believed in the covenant, that, that, that they were God's children, that they belonged to God, but far more importantly as to what it represents spiritually. The New Testament tells us, Paul many times talks of the fact that, that it's, it's the heart that needs to be circumcised. As a matter of fact, it's even mentioned in the Old Testament that the, the outward act of circumcision isn't the point. It's the heart that needs to be circumcised. The cutting away of the flesh. The cutting away of the flesh to, then to allow the spirit to take control. Paul points to that in Ephesians and Colossians. To be ruled by the spirit. In Colossians chapter 2, it speaks of Jesus being the one who, who circumcises us, who circumcises our hearts. And especially when you're eight days old, it doesn't take a whole lot of trust. You have no idea what's going on with you. But when you're 40 years old, it takes a whole lot of trust to be circumcised. And you can't, you can't trust yourself to do it. I mean, any, any type of thing, you can't trust yourself to, I mean, I, I remember when you were a kid and you were trying to pull out your tooth and you just couldn't do it. You said, I, I know I just got, you, give, you have your mom do it or you tie it on the doorknob, slam the door, you know, because you just can't do it. You can't trust yourself, but do you trust Jesus? And again, speaking now spiritual circumcision to say, all right, Jesus, I give you the knife and you cut away whatever needs to be cut away. I trust you completely, because it takes complete trust. Lord, I trust you completely to cut away everything that needs to be dealt with, to be cut away, to be removed. I, okay, Joshua, the guy who's in charge of the battle, right? Can you imagine that As I said, and this is where this comes into play, they're right outside Jericho. Do you realize what this is doing? This is making them 100% vulnerable to defeat. Remember the story back in in Genesis 34? The story of Shechem? When the, 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 the son of the king of Shechem slept with, with Dinah, raped Dinah? The, 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 the brother's sister, little sister. And, they, and then, he said, then he said, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, but I really want to marry, marry your, your, your sister. And they said, well, here's the deal. You all need to be circumcised first. And then we can intermarry and all this kind of stuff. And they said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. And so they, they, they all did. All the men of Shechem were circumcised. And they waited one day until they were in the worst possible pain. And then two of the brothers, 
Simeon and Levi go in and kill them all. Two men wiped out every man there because they couldn't fight. And that's what's happened right here. Do you realize the trust again and the vulnerability that they are opening themselves up to? And again, I, I, it amazes me, but it doesn't say in here, it's without question. All right, Lord, you're in charge. You're the one who said to do this, so we're gonna do that. And when we give the knife to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, you circumcise, you cut the things away, again, we are opening ourselves up to being vulnerable, right? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That, that's vulnerability that we leave ourselves open to. Somebody says to you, carry this a mile, you carry it too. That means, again, we don't defend ourselves, we don't fight, we leave ourselves completely vulnerable, but when we allow the Lord to do that work, that cutting away, and we allow the Spirit to control and run our lives, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. But again, completely trusting the Lord, completely believing that he knows what he's doing. And this, again, is part of the preparation for their victory. And it seems crazy. <laughs> Lord, couldn't, wouldn't this have been a good idea to do on the other side of the Jordan River when there was a river between us? We had plenty of time over there. Why now? Because it wouldn't have taken any trust then. Now, here we are facing the enemy right there. But obedience, obedience. Verse eight, now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Then, Josh, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The second piece in this preparation is this, this statement now, this statement that comes. It says, I have rolled away the reproach, the Gilgal. That's why it's called Gilgal. Gilgal literally means rolling. So it's a reminder that here it says, now, for, here at this point, I've taken away the reproach. That word reproach is shame. The, 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 the shame that you feel, the, the disgrace that's been on you from Egypt. Why? Because you were slaves there. You were slaves in Egypt. You had no rights. You were, you were treated as slaves. That, that was the lowest you could possibly be, the shame and the disgrace. But God says, today, I removed that from you completely. Today, you're a new creation. It's, it's different now. You, you don't bear that disgrace anymore. And it might seem like something we just pass over pretty quickly, but this is it meant so much to them that they named the place Gilgal, rolling away. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 13 and 14, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Paul said, this one thing I do, this one thing. I think some of the times that, that we can get distracted, that we can miss out on some of the victory that God intends to give to us is because we can get so focused on so many things. Paul was a busy guy, but he said, this one thing I do, this is the main thing. We need to focus on this one thing. Paul spoke often of running a race and and the different things. And this is saying what lies ahead, the prize that lies ahead. This one thing I do. He used the athletic analogy often. And athletes succeed by specializing in one thing. You don't don't become an all-pro quarterback because you specialize in blocking and and running and receiving and and, and punting and all of those. No, you you specialize in being a quarterback. You, one thing. And it says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting. Now that's interesting. It doesn't, that word forgetting does not mean erasing your mind. So that Men in Black, you've seen that movie, Men in Black, you know, where they look into that little thing and they go, and their mind just gone. No recollection whatsoever. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's saying is, what is back there behind me no longer affects me. It doesn't, it doesn't alter my race anymore. We can't change our past, but we can change the meaning of our past. It doesn't carry the same meaning anymore. Why? Because Jesus took the shame of our sin. He took the reproach. He rolled it onto himself. The enemy would love, again, always to get us off track and get us focused on our past, the things that have hurt us in our, in our past, our failures in our past. But Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget that. Let me also point out, though, everything in the past. Not just your failures, your successes, too. Oftentimes our successes can trip us up more than our failures. We can be standing and boasting in in these things that we've done in our past. No, Paul said, I forget all of that too. Forget all of it. So what's bugging you right now? What's that thing in your past, or what's even right now, this moment, right this moment, what is it? You know that if it's this moment, it's, that's already in the past. Moments just keep going past us. You know what? Everything, everything, the blood of Jesus, we overcome. We talk about this often on on the weekends now. Go through the blood of Jesus. We overcome by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because it covers it all. He bore our shame on the cross, all of it. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. There's activity involved in that. We know what we need to do. And it's not just reading, 
and studying. No, the Cardinals won this last weekend not just because they, 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 they read the game plan and they watched film, but they went out and executed what they knew they needed to for victory, and that's what we are to do. Forgetting what lies behind us, reaching forward to what lies ahead. And in that, again, victory. God does the work in us, but we work it out. As Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his pleasure. He works it in, we work it out. Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Well, verse 10, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. So here, after this, now they're observing the Passover, which, by the way, the first time in a long time. It tells us back when God was laying out the rules or the laws for the Passover, if you are uncircumcised, you cannot be a part of the Passover. So here now, after this, and after the removal of, of this reproach, after this is taken away, now they, they celebrate again and they remember going back to Passover, pointing back to that time when they put the blood of the lamb on the door, uh, the lentil of their, of their home, and the, and the angel of death passed over them. And in this again, for us, our Passover that we remember, that, that when the ultimate Passover, when Jesus had that Passover meal with his disciples and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So from this point going forward, there's a new covenant. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Passover was for them to remember their deliverance out of Egypt. The Lord's Supper communion for us is for us to remember what the Lord did for us. We, we remember that he is the fulfillment of that Passover. He is the Passover lamb. And the point in all of this, again, is they're about to embark on a, on, a, on a mission that is going to take several years to complete, far fewer years than you'd think, but to conquer this promised land that God is, is giving them. And they're going to face some huge obstacles. They're going to face some major difficulties. They're going to, again, starting in just a couple of days, they're going to go up against Jericho, and the battle plan's going to blow their mind when they finally get it. But that remembering now the Passover, remembering back and God saying, guys, remember what happened back then? If you always remember that, everything else won't seem such a big deal if you remember what I did for you back then. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Verse 32, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, 
how will he not also with him freely give us all things? When we celebrate communion and we remember what the Lord did for us, but Paul is telling us if, if, if we remember that and we realize that, that the Father didn't even spare his own son in order to redeem us, how could we not realize that won't he just give us, freely give us all that we need in Christ Jesus? What an amazing realization that is. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter what challenges we are, we can go back to the fact that God himself stepped out of heaven and gave up his very life for me Just as he said, if, if God is for us, who could be against us? Who will bring a charge against God elect, God's elect? How, how, how could we worry about what lies ahead when all we have to do is look back and see what he did for us on the cross of Calvary? They observed the Passover. Then verse 11, on the day after the Passover... On that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain or, or roasted grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. <laughs> wow. Again, I just I love how God does this and lays this all out. All of this stuff he's, he's using to... To, to build their faith, to prepare them for what lies ahead. The moment that they get there, they celebrate the Passover. The next day, they, they, they start having some of the produce of this land of milk and honey that God promised them that he would give the, to provide for them abundantly there. That next day, the manna stopped. This miraculous manna that God has used for 40 years to feed them stops. And a new miracle starts. That God is going to start pr providing for them and in a new way, a different way. And we can oftentimes be scared of change, right? It's easy for us to get settled into this thing that, hey, I've been doing, this is the way we've always done it. Every day we get up and we go out and we get, just enough for the day, because that's what God said. We don't do any more than that, except on, except on Fridays. We get twice as much, because the Sabbath. But, but for 40 years, and it's always worked that way, so why would we change it? Well, because God stopped doing it that way. <laughs> if you go out the next day and expect the manna, it's not there. And, and we have to be ready for God to say, hey, the, the, the game plan's changing a little bit. I'm still here. I'm still going to provide for you. You still need to completely rely on me. But it's changing a little bit. Verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, rather, 
I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We'll see, and I'll explain more in more detail as we move through this, but this is none other than a, we call it a theophany or a Christophany. This is, this is the Lord Jesus standing in front of Joshua. And I love this. I mean, this is, this is, this is great, because quite honestly, God answers questions however he wants. <laughs> he, answers, he answers the questions that should be asked. You know, and, and instead of sometimes answering the questions that we ask, he answers the questions that should be asked, if we had enough sense to ask them. So often we can be saying, why, Lord, I don't, you know, and this kind of stuff, and it, the, the question is what? What is it that you want to do in me? Not why is this happening, but what do you want me to see in this? He'd be glad to reveal that to us. And those, you know, why, what? But it, I love it. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. Yeah. The, real, the real question, the real question it, it should be asked towards Joshua, are you with me? Are you with me? We see, again, that this is, this is the Lord Jesus. Several things. First of all, it says the, the captain of the host of the Lord. And then it says, and Joshua fell on his face and bowed down. And if this was an angel, which some people say it is, this was an angel, the angel would have refused the worship of Joshua. As we will see in our continued study in Revelation, angels will not receive worship. They would say, get up. Don't, don't worship me. But here, obviously, received. And then just as he... Just as the, the Lord said to Moses, remove your sandals from your feet, you are on holy ground. It says the same thing to Joshua, you are on holy ground. But this, is, this is, has to be comforting to this whole thing with Joshua for a couple of reasons. First of all, he says, I'm the captain of the, of the hosts of the Lord. And he's not speaking of a physical man army, he's speaking of an angelic army, the angel armies. And he's saying, I'm the captain of the angel armies. And we see angelic armies in, in the Old Testament. And we understand the power. One angel wiped out 185,000 of the baddest uh, military people in the world, the Assyrian army. One angel, one night, 185,000 of them. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, just takes one word from me right now, and there would be 12 legions of angels right here. They're just sitting up there just saying, give me the word. Just, just say, come on. <laughs> the, the captain, the captain of the, of the angel armies. Do you know that that should bring great comfort to us? Because the captain of the angel armies is interceding on our behalf. He is dispatching those angels on our behalf. Hebrews, Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that, that these are ministering spirits for us, the angels. They're dispatched 
to, to our aid, to help. Elisha's servant gets up one morning, walks outside the tent, and he sees the enemy, and there are like locusts on the ground. They're all over the place. And he goes into Elisha, and he's panicked. They're here. They're good. You know, we have no hope. And Elisha, you know, he's like, no big deal. And then he said, Lord, just give him a glimpse. Just let him see, just for a moment. And the Lord removed the, 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 the veil over the, his eyes so that he could see into the spiritual realm. And he saw all of the angelic be all around, just surrounding the enemy. And it's like, oh, all right, what's for breakfast? You know, it's, you know, and, and so this has to be, again, a comfort now for Joshua, knowing that, that, this is, that this is going on. But notice, too, also, and just real quickly, last thing, it says, I'm the captain of the Lord's house. And I have to, again, think that that brings great comfort to Joshua, because what's Joshua doing He's out walking around, and he's, he's got to be looking at the walls of Jericho thinking, uh, how many ladders is it going to take to get up that thing? How are we going to design a battering ram to get through that wall? How are, you know, what, what and, and pacing around and thinking and scratching his head and thinking, I'm in charge of this thing. I'm supposed to come up with, I'm, I'm the captain of this place. And here the Lord shows up and says, no, Joshua, I'm the captain. Joshua's got to be going, I'm number two, I'm number two, I, you know, I, I don't want to be in charge. I'll follow you wherever you go, Lord, but you, you, you're the, you're, you're the captain, amen, praise God. And he falls down and he worships. Because Joshua could never have come up with the game plan that we're going to see when we get into chapter 6. That's only the Lord. Praise God. Well, that's all we have time for. So we'll end there. Get into the battle of Jericho next week, chapter 6. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for, for your word and, and just the clarity of it. And Lord, we, we pray that that you would just minister to us as we just reflect on some of the things that we've, that we've learned tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are not done with us, that you are continually molding us and shaping us. Lord, that we can remember what you did for us, that you have taken our shame, our guilt, you have removed our reproach. You, have, you rolled it upon yourself, Lord. And Lord, because of that fact, I pray that each of us would embrace the truth as, as Paul said, that, Lord, that we forget what lies behind. All of those things, even individuals, even people that have hurt us, sin in our past, successes in our past, Lord, that we would no longer allow those things to affect us anymore. That we would change the meaning of our history because you took it all. Lord, that we would now move forward, that we would strive for what is ahead, that we would press on to that prize. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.